need a, a little help this morning. Can someone pronounce that word? Content. Is it? Or it could be content, right? Uh, I mean, depending on how you pronounce that word, it can mean vastly uh, different things. I mean, so if you're flipping through Netflix and you see rated R for violent or sexual content means completely different than if you see rated R for violent or sexual content, right? Um, and, and so it, it makes a difference on where you put the emphasis. Putting the emphasis in the right place is not just an English language problem. Uh, that is also something that we, we deal with in life. And, and really, that is really the theme of what I would say is almost the major theme of the book of Hebrews. Uh, if, you're, if you have your Bible today and you want to follow the book of Hebrews is towards the end of the Bible. Uh, but, but the book of Hebrews uh, really has this, yep, we want to put the emphasis on, on the right place. Uh, now, something about the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is one of those kind of a unique book because, or letter because we don't necessarily know who wrote it. Uh, one of the only books of the Bible that the author does not, uh, is not identified. And so as many, many think it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, the Holy Spirit used him to write 13 other letters of the New Testament, so let's just lump him in with the number 14. Uh, some people maybe think it was one of Paul's teammates. Uh, he, he had a missionary partner by the name of Barnabas, and there's some evidence that, oh yeah, maybe it was Barnabas that wrote this letter uh, to the Hebrews. Uh, uh, the, some other th people would maybe think it was was a, a guy by the name of Apollos. He was a, a smart guy from Alexandria, Egypt, and, and he got into contact with the Christianity, and we can read about him in Acts chapter 18, and so there's some evidence that, that he was maybe the writer. But you see what I'm doing? I'm getting caught up in things that really aren't important. The fact that the Bible doesn't tell us maybe we shouldn't emphasize who wrote it. What's important is, what does it say? What is the content of of the book of Hebrews. And so let's get back to that. Again, I, I said the, the major point of the book of Hebrews is putting the emphasis in the right thing, in the right place. And, and to understand a little bit about who are these Hebrews, that's a, a, a maybe a funny sounding name, but it's what's confusing sometimes when you go through the Bible. It's, there's three groups, three names used for the same group of people. Uh, the Jews, the Israelites, and the Hebrews, all the same people. And, and here's a little bit about their background, is that, that uh, you know, ever since the fall into sin, uh, God said, okay, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to send my son into the world, and he's going to be the offspring of the woman. He, he told Eve right away there, uh, a Savior's going to come from your line. And eventually, he had to narrow it down. Okay, which line? What's the human ancestry, the backdrop for sending a savior into the world. And he, he picked, it's okay, it's going to be you Israelites or Jews or Hebrews, whatever it is. And God said, I want you to never forget this, that, that, that this is a special privilege that the savior is going to come from them. 
So he gave them various things that would kind of set them apart from the rest of the world. So they'd always be reminded of this. They'd be doing one thing, say, why are we doing this again? Oh, yeah, because that's to remind us that the Savior's coming. Why are we doing this? Oh, yeah, that's supposed to remind us that the Savior's coming. And so he gave them restrictions or dietary laws that separated them from the rest of the world. He gave them some worship laws. He gave them some civil laws, how they were supposed to, to live as a nation. And, and that was going fine. But sometimes they, they put the emphasis in the wrong place. They started to think we're special because we're following these laws instead of we're following these laws as a way to remind us how special God has given us this privilege. Get the difference? They, they started to say they were special because they followed God's, special, God's laws instead of realizing these laws were to mark them as special. And so, so the writer to the Hebrews uh, keeps reminding them, no, no, you're not special because of that. And Now, by the time this letter is written, the Savior's already come. Jesus has already come into this world, lived a perfect life, died, rose again, ascended into heaven. He's come and gone. And by God's grace, these Hebrews believe that. Not all the Hebrews believed in Jesus as their Savior, but these Hebrews did. And, and so uh, for the first 10 chapters, the author says, keep on emphasizing that. I want to show you how, how important it is to keep Christ at the forefront, how Christ is greater than all those laws, how, how Christ is, is greater than the angels, how Christ is greater than Moses, uh, that guy who wrote the, the special laws that, you know, for generations you people were following, how, how Christ is greater than your priests who are, who are doing all these sacrifices, but guess what? Their sacrifices aren't perfect. They have to do them over and over and over and over and over again, whereas Christ did a once-for-all sacrifice on the cross. It's done. It's over with, and that, that point is hammered home again and again and again through the first 10 chapters of this letter. Christ is better, Christ is greater, Christ is superior. And then he gets to chapter 11, 12, and 13. And he basically says, okay, now let's apply this. What does it mean for your daily life that Christ is better? And he basically says, A, it doesn't mean that all the laws are just gone. Okay, some of them are. Some of the laws that God wrote in the Old Testament for his people were, were just, they, were, they had a shelf life. These are meant to point you ahead to Jesus. Once Jesus comes, he fulfilled the law, the Bible says. You don't have to keep them anymore. But there are other laws that God gives us and gave them in his word that are, are meant to really be a guide. This is how you can glorify God. This is how you can live for him. And, and that's where we get to in the section of God's we're, we're going to be looking at today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. And it, it almost is as if uh, the, the writer is running out of space on his paper and he's just doing rapid fire. Here's some laws that God has given to you to follow. And they, they maybe don't even seem connected at first. It's just one thing after another, almost like five bullet points. Uh, where he says this, he says, keep on loving uh, one another as brothers and sisters. And then, you know, bullet point number two, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. 
For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, bullet point number three, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Uh, bullet point number four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And then bullet point number five, keep your lives free from the love of money and then the word of the day and be content uh, with what you have. Now, it seems like if you look at that list, it seems like that word content only goes with the fifth bullet point, uh, talking about money, but it really applies to everything. Because it's when we're not satisfied with the content of our life, that's when we stop being content. You look at that first bullet point, keep, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The word there for brothers and sisters isn't like biological brothers and sisters, uh, the same word here that's used for like the city of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, a friendship love where, hey, uh, who are we friends with? I'll do something for you, and then they do something for me. And, and that's great, but what happens? Sometimes friends can become taxing, right? And, and sometimes friends just wear us out because they're, they're, they're so high maintenance. And, and, and when, we're, when we are no longer content or we're no longer content with the content of that friendship, right? It seems like we're putting more in than we're getting out of it. That's when we stop being content. And so we need to hear these words. Keep on. Even when you're not liking the content of that friendship, keep on loving your brothers and sisters. Or you go to bullet point number two, you know, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Um, maybe we, we've been burned in the past. You know, we, we've gone out of our way to, to, to roll out the red carpet, to, to, to feed someone or to invite someone into our home, and, and somewhere we get burned. And so now we're not going to do it again. We're no longer content with being hospitable for hospitality's sake. Point number three, you know, why do we maybe stop identifying or, or thinking about with those who are in prison or suffering with those who are mistreated, empathizing with them? Because it just, it's hard. And it makes my life messy. And it drains me. And so maybe I'm not content with that anymore. And so I need that reminder here. Or, or number four, marriage. And God's gift of sexuality, instead of seeing God's gift of sexuality, which is an expression of commitment that's all about the other person, I've adopted the world's lies that says, oh, it's about me and what I get out of it. And so maybe I'm not content with that anymore. And then you get to that, that finally, that fifth bullet point of money. And again, money is a tremendous blessing from God. Uh, the ability to work and have a job is a, is a tremendous blessing from God, but there is a razor-thin difference uh, between, between uh, just a, a, you know, good management of business principles and, and greed for gain. Point being, when we are not satisfied with life's table of contents, no matter what area of life it is, whether it's with friends or family or work, you know, you see a whole bunch of smattering things here. 
When we do not like life's table of contents, that's when we cease to be content. So what's the key? How can we be content in our life, no matter the circumstances? That's what the writer to the Hebrews is trying to answer for us today. And in order to answer that question, it really helps us to understand some of the the, the circumstances and the, and the perspective. And you know, to answer that question, what's the key to being content in no matter situation? I'm reminded of an old of an old uh, Reader's Digest story. You guys remember Reader's Digest? Those little half great bathroom reading material, right? Uh, um, you can actually still get Reader's Digest. I didn't know that until this week. Uh, but there's an old story in there of a guy who lived in Hungary, and he went to his pre- he went to his rabbi. I said, Rabbi, it's just, life is horrible. Uh, he was sharing a room with eight of his brothers, so there's nine of them, stuck into this room for their living quarters, and he said, we're just, we're just fighting all the time, and we're on top of each other, there's not enough room, it's just, it's horrible. And, and the rabbi said to him, he said, well, you guys have a goat too, don't you? And he said, yeah. He said, well, I'll bring the goat into your room and report back to me next week. And the guy's like, just incredulous. No way am I going to bring the goat into my house. But the rabbi insists, no, you bring that goat into your room and come back to me next week. So the guy goes home. I don't know how he convinced his brothers to get the goat into the room, but they brought the goat into the room for the whole week. And, and then after a week, he goes back to the rabbi, and the rabbi says, well, how's, how's the week? Oh, awful. It was worse than before because now we got this filthy, stinky uh, goat that's you know, just making a mess of everything and eating everything up. It is just awful. And the rabbi goes, well, go home and let the goat back outside and come back to me in a week. And he comes back the next week, and the rabbi says, well, how is it? Oh, it's awesome. We are so thankful not to have that goat in our room anymore. And what's the point? His circumstances did not change from when he first came to that rabbi till a couple of weeks later when he came to that rabbi. But his perspective did. And when we think about contentment, uh, that is really a truth, that contentment is more a matter of perspective than it is about circumstance. Right? Contentment is more a matter of perspective than it is about circumstance. That's what the writer to the Hebrews wanted to get across to his listeners. He wanted to change their perspective in regards to contentment. And, and so how did he do that? Uh, he really said, he reminded them about the goat. No, not the goat, the filthy, smelly, eating everything goat, but about the, the G period, O period, A period, T period, the greatest of all time that they had in their midst, that they had God. And that's what's going to change their perspective. I mean, you go back to this lesson here, after listening, listing all these things that you may not be content with, but he goes on to say, be content with what you have. Why? He tells us. The very next verse, because, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
you can be content because you are tied to a God. And nothing can ever separate you from him. That is life-changing perspective. It was for a guy by the name of Joshua. Maybe you remember the name Joshua, maybe you don't. You have to actually flip to the other side of your Bible towards the beginning, book of Deuteronomy. Joshua had a hard task in front of him. He had to step into the, the shoes of, of the greatest leader of all time, Moses. And he had to lead millions of people into a new land that was waiting for him, but uh, there was a, a big enemy against them, these, these people that looked like giants and made them feel like grasshoppers. And, and Joshua's like, how am I ever going to do that? And in one of his final pep talks, Moses says to Joshua these very words. I mean, you see, because God has said, never will I leave you, never for I sake you, that's a quote. And you go back to Moses' words to Joshua. It says, don't be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The fact that the writer to the Hebrews is quoting this 1,500 years later uh, maybe lets us know what an impact God's presence can make in your life. Or you think it wasn't just, it wasn't just Joshua who appreciated uh, having God's presence in his life. As you, could, you could go to the, in the New Testament uh, to a guy by the name of Paul, a great missionary, but he didn't have an easy life. Uh, not only was he often having problems trying to share the gospel and people opposing him, but he had this physical ailment uh, that was just tormenting him. And he even calls it a, this is my thorn in my flesh. And not once, not twice, but three times he pleads with the Lord, Lord, please take it away from me. And you know what the Lord said? Sorry. I'm going to keep that there so you don't become conceited. But then he goes on to say, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And interestingly enough, the same word that's translated here, sufficient, is the same word that the Hebrew uses for content. God's grace, God's presence is enough. And that's kind of the second point uh, with, with contentment. Not only is contentment a more of a matter of perspective, than it is about circumstance, the key to contentment is also realizing that God's presence in our lives is enough. And then that is what leads us to have courage and confidence to face whatever circumstance we're facing in life. I mean, you go back to this writer to the Hebrews, look what they say. They says, okay, God said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. But then the very next verse, so, so we say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals, what can other humans do to me? And Joshua realized that. After he got that pep talk, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, he, he marched in to Jericho and they conquered the new land. Paul realized that he, he continued to proclaim the gospel in spite of his physical torments, in spite of the opposition. He continued to go and preach wherever the Lord led him. Or you might actually say, you know who, who demonstrates this more than anybody else? It's Jesus himself. 
I mean, if there was ever, if there was ever anybody who had reason to be discontent, it was our Savior Jesus. I mean, there he is. He's there in heaven, enjoying the, all the glories of heaven and everything it entails. Uh, you know, he's got the angels singing to him every day. Who wouldn't want that? And they're saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he gives it up. Lowers himself, humbles himself to become one of us. And, and we know the stories about the, the, the torment uh, that he was facing as as, as, you know, the night he was betrayed, he, there he is, right before he's arrested, he is, he is sweating like, like drops of blood because he, he knows that the, the wrath of God against sin is about to land on his shoulders. And yet he marches forward. Why? Because he knew these words. He knew these words, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. In fact, there's very likely that these were the last words that Jesus sang before he went out to that garden. This quote that the Hebrew writer puts here is from Psalm 118. And Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 are the Passover psalms, the psalms that Jesus would have sung with his disciples when they celebrated the Passover the night before he died. And if you look in the Gospels, it says, they sang a psalm, and they went out. And so with these words on his lips, as Jesus was about to face the full wrath of God, he could say, the Lord is my helper. What can, I will not be afraid. That, what can mere mortals do to me? And yes, then he, he went ahead. And he ended up being forsaken by his heavenly Father. As he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, why did he do that? So that you and I never would be. He went forward knowing that the Lord was his helper, not being afraid, so that these words, this promise of never will I leave you, Never will I forsake you. Could become true for you and for me. Taking away our sin so that nothing would ever separate us from God again. And so, brothers and sisters, you maybe have tons of different circumstances in your life that I'll never know about. But I do know that you can be content no matter your circumstances. Because you don't go into those circumstances alone. You go with God. A God who promises to never leave you or forsake you. A God who promises to provide for you and to help you. A God who promises heaven for you through Jesus. You can be content because in Jesus, you have it all. You can ha be content because you have Jesus, period. When he's your content, we have every reason to be content. Amen.